time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Tell them that God's gonna cut you down Well, a lot of you have heard of a wise man, a very wise man named Solomon, and he once wrote these words. I kind of want to start out by looking at this. He says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to, say it with me, die. You're like, well, that's starting off your talk with a really great spirit there, a time to die. But it's true. I mean, the stats are in. You know this. Everybody born is going to die. It's just a fact. We know this. Of course, when you're young, you know, you're immortal. Some of you, a lot of you guys, you know, you're like in your 30s and your 20s and stuff. I mean, you, you, you think you're going to live forever. And then you get to be my age and you, you start burying people and people that you love and you go to funerals and you start to realize how it is inevitable. It's coming. It's coming to every single one of us. You will die. I will die probably sooner than, than maybe even the majority of people in this room. But we're all going to get there at some point. And so, you know, we, we process it and, and we, we make jokes about it. You know, you're stuffing a greasy rib in your mouth and you're like, you got to die of something. You might as well die with a smile on your face or whatever. And we, you hear people talk about that. I'm pretty comfortable with death. You know, I'm, I'm okay with it because of their faith perhaps or because they're fatalistic and they just believe it's going to happen. So why get worked up about it? I mean, for the most part, we don't get too jazzed about the idea of dying. We know it's going to happen. But here's the interesting thing about death. Unless there is a vast amount of brokenness on the inside of you, and that can happen, but unless that happens, there's a vast amount of brokenness on the inside, we fight death with everything in us. I don't know how it works, but there's something in us, unless we are truly broken internally, that we will fight death. Death. Even though you may say, no, I'm not one of those people that will fight it. I'll just you know, welcome it and everything. Listen, I, I've just had too many experiences to know there's something in us that fights against it unless we are truly, as I said, broken inside. My brother Rick, my older brother Rick, and some of you know this, two years ago, this coming Easter season, uh, Rick passed away. And Rick was diagnosed with cancer many, uh, like, like seven years before that. And when they first diagnosed him, they said, you know, you got, you got stage four cancer. You're going to die right away. And so I'd gone down. I'd spent a week with him, and it, it, looked, it looked really bad. And he talked to me about this at one point. And he said, Jeff, I just want you to know. I think he wanted me to know because he thought, you know, I'm a preacher, and I would be upset by it. And he was just making sure I understood and everything. But he said, I just want you to know, when it gets bad, I just want to be clear on this. When it gets very bad for me, when I lose quality of life, he said, when it gets hard for other people, he said, I'm just, I'm just checking out, Jeff. I'm just going to take the extra meds. I'm going to pop them and go to sleep, and I'll be gone. I just want you to know. And he's kind of watching me like how I'm going to respond. I said, well, you're an adult. You'll figure that thing out yourself. That's not my job to make that decision for you. Okay. But I wasn't surprised that when he, it did get bad, when it became difficult not only for him but for the people around him, he did not take the gentle path out. He fought death tooth and nail. Anybody ever seen that happen? Like somebody's like, I'm just going to go, man. I'm not going to stay around with this. I'm not going to do this to anybody. But when you get to that place, it's like, no, 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 I am not going. I am going to fight it. It's in us. I was down there for the last week of his life. For eight days, Rick went without food and water. And every single day, he fought for life. There's something in us. 
My mom was the same way. My mom had MS diagnosed, you know, three months after I was born. And many times in my early years, we thought mom was going to die. And I remember once, now I'm married and have kids and everything, but mom's in the hospital. She is, for all practical purposes, comatose. I, I, I don't remember every detail, but it, I believe it was days that she hadn't spoken. She really hadn't moved her body in any way. She was just there breathing slowly, and it seemed to me slower and slower. And we were like, this has got to be the end. This has got to be the end. And I remember this so well because do, do, do you ever think about how sometimes you think maybe people need to be released, that somebody needs to say, it's okay, you can go, it will be all right. And I was talking with Ann about this, and I said, you know, maybe mom needs to be released. Maybe, maybe I just need to say something to her that it's okay. And she said, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe so. And so I'll, I'll never forget this because I, I went up to the side of her bed and I leaned down because I had no idea if she'd even hear me. And I just, I just spoke into her ear and I said, mom, I want you to listen to me. I want you to know it's okay. It's okay. We know where you're going. We know where we're going. We're going to see you again. We will make it. Even though we will miss you, we will make it. It's okay. You can let go, Mom. It's all right. And I will never forget this because this woman who had been for days not moving, no eyes blinking, nothing happening except breathing, said in a tiny but fierce whisper, not before my time. And I'm like, you're there. It scared me. And that woman came back and lived for quite a lot of years after that. There's something in us. There is, and I think it's in all of us, that fights for life. We fight against death because something within us knows that we were meant for life. It's in us. It's in us. We're born with a passionate will to live. It's, it's there on the inside. You know, that is the reason why, as a church, TVC is unashamedly an advocate for life. We believe in life. And you could say it this way, we are pro-life. Now, for me, that is not a political statement. That's a life statement. We are pro-life. We believe in life because it's in us. Everybody wants to live. Now, you're going to find this interesting when I say this, and maybe it'll be troubling to you, but because we are advocates for life, because as a church corporately we are pro-life, that also means that we are pro-choice. And I will tell you why I say we are pro-choice. Because we so believe in life, we believe that every living human should have the choice on whether to live or not. Look, you do not have to do the research to know that whether in the womb or newborn, every infant, given the choice, will cling tenaciously to life. They will fight to live. Is that true? It's just in us. And so, yes, we advocate for life. We believe that it should be protected. We believe that it should be cared for. We believe that it should be honored because something in us, this has been the Christian perspective really from the beginning, that life is a gift from God and it should be honored and it should be valued and it should be cared for and protected in every way possible because God advocates for life. This is is fundamentally a scripture where Jesus speaks and as followers of Christ, we listen to what he has to say. And this is what he said, I, Jesus, have come that they may have what? All right, let's try it again, see if we can get 10 of you to say it. I have come that they may have life. life. That they may have life and have it 
to the full. Jesus says, I came so that you would have life. It is a God-given, we believe this with all our heart, it is a God thing placed within us. We have this sense of, of knowing that God wants us to have life. And so we believe in it. We fight against death. We fight for life. But here's the paradox. Is here we are. We believe that God wants us to have life and yet we're fighting death all the time. And we're experiencing death happening around us. You have to admit it raises some questions. I mean, if God wants us to have life, why do we die? And why does it even have to happen? Why can't we just live forever? Why can't, you know, if somebody dies young and it's like such, it, you just feel like they've been robbed of something that's so precious, life, and, and it seems so wrong. And it's like, why would God even allow that? And then when you think of it even more deeply, people ask the question like, What's the whole deal with death anyhow? What happens after you die? And this, for many people, is a very troubling question because it seems confusing. This is one curtain that we simply have been unable to look behind. People can't say, well, this is what happens after you die, except as a faith statement. But as a matter of fact, you know, now some people have said, yeah, I died and then they've written books and made a lot of money off of it. You've heard about these books and, and written not only on a faith perspective, but in all kinds of perspectives. Say, I died and this was my experience, blah, blah, blah. Are any of you like me? I tend to be very skeptical about those kind of things. I, I, I really do. Some of you may remember there was a book that was a best Christian book bestseller called The Boy Who Died, The Boy Who uh, Died and Went to Heaven. And uh, it was about this guy's experience in heaven. You may remember this. It's some years back. Every copy was pulled off the shelf, every bookshelf. It was a huge bestseller. But it was pulled from all the stores because the boy came forward and said, I made it up. I made it up. I wanted to get attention. It got me attention, but now I realize how wrong it was, and I'm sorry, but I made that up, and they had to take it. So much for believability. I mean, you just, this is a curtain we can't look behind. I haven't been there. You haven't been there. And somebody may say, well, you know, this is how it works or whatever, but the truth is we don't know every detail. So I want to talk about death. I want to talk about this really in some ways from a Christian perspective, and I'm not going to try to give you an in-depth description of what heaven looks like and hell looks like and all that. Just like you, I haven't been there yet. My time's coming, but I have not seen it. Now, at the same time, though, I think if you are a follower of Christ, and this talk really is directed at people who have made that decision to follow Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, I believe with all my heart that it really is important for you to know what you believe, where your faith is when it comes to death and what happens as a result of death. And here's why I think this is so important to come back to and revisit on a fairly regular basis. Because I agree with this statement that I heard a long time ago, but I think it's profoundly true. And that is, what you believe about eternity will determine how you live today. What you believe about forever will determine how you live your life in the here and now. And I actually believe this is true. Not every second, not every moment are we always thinking about the forever. Not every second. But if you have a belief, if you have a faith about eternity, it will determine how you live your life. Because here's the deal. In the larger picture of life, if this is all there is, 
if there is no God, if there is no life with God after this, then so much of the stuff that we get caught up in doesn't really mean much. I mean, for example, morals. I mean, if this is all there is, if we just die and then we're done and we just go back to the elements, if that's the real truth about who we are as human beings, then who needs morals? They're a pain in the rear end. Let's just be honest. Don't, don't, don't want it. Don't need it. Oh, you're supposed to live this way. You're supposed to do that. No, I, you know, really, what else is there? Some people say, well, it makes for a nicer community if you have morals. Big deal. It doesn't matter. If I'm going to be, I'm never going to say this out loud, but if I'm simply just going back to the ground and I'm nothing after this short life that I have, I'm going to take care of me, baby. It's going to be about me. Some, some of you say, oh, no, no, but the love makes, love makes the world a better place. Oh, yeah? Says who? Anyone who's listening to this, if you have ever loved someone and opened your heart up to them deeply, you know that at different times they will shatter your heart into a thousand pieces. I don't need that. I don't need that. Because we're all just meat. That's what we are. If there's nothing beyond this life, if there is no God, if there is nothing beyond this with him, we are simply meat. So, if that's the case, you know, I mean, you think about it, I think the animal kingdom in some ways makes much more sense. You have a, a kid who's acting bad, ill-behaved, not doing well, eat it. <laughs> Somebody's clapping, I'm not sure that's a good sign. No, I'm serious. Eat it. Now, I know some of you are like, oh, that is the most horrible thing you have ever said, and you said it from the pulpit. Yes, I did. I actually, I know it sounds horrific, but I actually saw this in Africa. I was on a safari thing, and, and uh, we came up on a pride of lions, a big, huge lion. He's got a huge mane, and he's eating something, and we're looking at that, and I said, that looks like a, a little lion. And the guide who was with us said, yes, that happens. They will sometimes eat their young if they get out of line. And it was horrific to watch, but there was a part of me going, hmm. I may not have been thinking this through so well. No, I'm serious. If we're just meat, who needs the hassle of a wayward kid? Eat it. You get rid of the hassle and you get a decent meal in the process? Why not? We, if there is nothing beyond this, we are just meat. Now, some people will say, of course, they believe in eternity. They embrace it, but it's questionable in my mind because they really don't live like that in, in any way. It's like they live for what's now and that is all. And I understand sometimes we lose sight of the sweet by and by because of the rotten here and now and we have to work at that and everything. But when you have this belief clearly inside you that there is a God, that there is eternity with that God, that there is life beyond this life, it changes how you view this life. See, if you understand there's eternity, and just for clarity's sake, there's not construction happening on the platform right now. This is just a little simple, silly illustration that I'm using. I want you just to picture this construction tape going on out into infinity both ways. And that would be eternity. Now, let's talk about your life. 
let's say you live to nine. Let's no, not ninety. Let's say you live to a hundred. Uh, let's make it a hundred and ten. You're so old and wrinkled, you look like a prune, and you can't hear or see. But let's say you live a hundred and ten years on this timeline. What do you think it looks like? It's like a tiny dot right there. And that is it. That is it. In the span of eternity, when you understand that what seemed like long days and, and long years, this was the week from hell, and it was so horrible, and it's just, you realize that your whole life, no matter how long you live, is just a tiny dot in the spectrum of eternity. It changes how you see life and how you deal with the day because you understand there is something more than that. You know, I'm not a big uh, football fan. You know, I don't keep track of who's winning in the NFL and all that or college or any of that stuff really. But this year I did what I've done many times at different times over the years. I watched the Super Bowl mostly for the commercials because I'm interested in that. But I was fascinated. This year as I I was watching it, I was aware of the incredibly complex and intense plays that these teams have to call. Special teams, you know, the offense, the defense, whatever. And how they have these it's so involved, these plays where everybody does this different thing. It's like an elaborate dance. But all the while that they're doing this elaborate dance in these plays, they call, they have one eye on the clock. They're incredibly aware of that because that kind of rules how they play the game. So maybe, you know, you, you, if, if you have possession of the ball, you, you, I mean, most of you know this, you, you only have so long you keep possession before you have to snap that ball into the hands of the quarterback. And if they want to use up time, I was like, I was watching and it was like the clock would be counting down and that snap would come a heartbeat before they would have been given a penalty because they're playing these elaborate plays and they haven't figured out, but they are aware that it all has to sync with the clock. And so they always keep an eye on the clock. And those who understand eternity and that there is a God and that there is eternal life with that God, they live with one eye on the clock. And it gives perspective to everything that happens in their life. This is incredibly important. So what I want to do today is I just want to talk about death from the Christian perspective. What is the Christian worldview from the historic Christian church perspective. Now, I know some people have varied on this over the years, but I'm talking about a perspective that comes from the historic church. And this will not be a detailed, in-depth study. This is going to be from a larger perspective. And probably, I'm not going to say anything about what Christians believe about death and what happens after death that you would not have already said, well, I think this is what they believe, and that's fine. What I hope more than anything else, well, this will just remind us of something, that no matter what's happening in your crazy busy life right now, keep an eye on the clock. Don't miss that. So the first thing, the first thing that the Christian church believes when it comes to death is the Christian church believes that there is eternal, say the last word with me, life. All right, so get this. this, Just be very clear on this. Christians believe that you do not cease to exist with the cessation of your heartbeat or breathing. That though your body dies, you do not 
followers of Christ believe that there is an eternity and that we will live in eternity. Paul writes about it this way, and this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a great portion of scripture. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in, now what he's describing is our bodies. He says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. In other words, if our body dies, we still have a a body or, or something that we will live in in heaven not built by human hands. Says, Meanwhile, while we're in this body, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. It's because we know there's more. There's more. We know that. Because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we were in this tent, in this body, we groan and we're burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that, I underline this because I think it's so powerful, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up, say it with me, by life by life. You understand what this is saying? Is that death is not the end, but death that comes at the end of this life is swallowed by what? Life. Death is swallowed by life. The mortal is swallowed by life. There is life. We believe Christians believe that there is eternal life, that life does not end. And whatever happens after this body falls apart, after we die, this this body ceases to operate, this tent, if you will, what happens after that, whatever it is, you do not cease to exist. Now, for the follower of Christ, we have great hope in this. This means something of great hope to us. And though we don't have absolute clarity on what all will happen after death, We know it's going to be good, and that changes how we view our lives. It changes how we do our lives because we have an eye on the clock. We're aware. This is not the end. You understand, don't you, that over the ages, many Christians who have been in dire circumstances, have been in very difficult, painful situations, they have stayed true to their character. They have continued to do righteous or right and good things because they understood this is not all there is. This is a dot on the continuum of me, of who I am. I will live for eternity with God, and this is small. And when you have that deep understanding on the inside, it does determine how you live now. Let me tell you one thing it'll help you do. It'll help you live your life in such a way that you'll risk more. Because because what do you got to lose? If you've come to this church very much, you know I've said this so many times, but for the follower of Christ, it is a win-win. If you live, God is with you, and you win. If you die, you are with God, and you what? You win. It's a win-win. So it changes your perspective instead of saying, I've just got so much, I, I have too much to lose. You, this, is, this life is like, like a, an eternity. It's nothing And I'm not going to be strapped down because I have an eye on the clock and there is a bigger picture in my life and I will live my life in such a way that I'll be willing to risk more because this is not all there is. I love the story of three guys in the Old Testament. Many of you are familiar with it. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach. Can anybody tell me the other guy's name? Many of you know it. Yeah, you've got a bunch of religious people in here. Abednego. Three guys who were living in a place where the king, the leader of the land at that time, called them in because he had made 
and had an idol made, a huge idol, that he said everybody had to fall down and worship that as God. They were passionate God followers, though. And they determined that they would not bow down to that thing. And so this king called him in and he said, this is how it's going to work. You either bow down and worship that idol or you will be thrown into a blazing furnace where you will surely die. And what I love about their response is that it was not driven by fear and it was not driven by temporary circumstances. It was driven by eternity. And this is their response. It's so fabulous. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love this next part. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I love their hearts because what they're saying in effect is, is whether I live or die, I think God can deliver me from this fire. And in that case, he did. But it doesn't always happen that way. But what they were saying was, whether he does or not, we are willing to risk it all because we know there is more. There is eternal life. And that makes a profound, not only will it, it cause you to risk more, but when you have an eye on the clock, it will cause you to love more. Your kids wayward, acting bad, you don't eat them, you love them. And some of the kids right now are going, please hear that, please hear that. You love them. You walk with them through the chaos of their lives, through their dark times, through their, that, that mate that you feel like has not been treating you like they should, that you don't feel loved by. You stay with them and you love them and you treat. And yes, it hurts sometimes, but you live this life with an eye on the clock. There is more. There is more. And I will not let this moment rule me in such a way that I become unaware that I am part of a much bigger plan, that there is an eternity. And this is huge, folks. It's huge. The historic Christian worldview of life is that it is eternal, for better or for worse. And that leads me to the second point. We believe that there is eternal life. And we also believe as followers of Christ that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And this is not a popular one. This is one people don't even want to think about, really, this idea that there could be a hell. We don't like the idea of it. But here's what I want to say to you. I'm not talking about what we believe based on, you know, some current positive attitudes. I'm talking about what the historic Christian church has embraced based on Scripture and the words of Jesus. Because Jesus talked about both heaven and a hell. So let's just Let's first talk about hell. We'll just try to get it out of the way, all right, since nobody really wants to think about it. The bottom line is, as followers of Christ, I believe we cannot deny its existence, even though we may not like the idea of it. And I will tell you why. Because Jesus, the Son of God, believed there was hell. And he talked about it numerous times. Do you understand, don't you, that Christianity is not based on positive life principles? It is not based on good ideals for living. It is based on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? And if we choose to reject what he believed, Christianity in and of itself becomes meaningless. It is now just an empty thing, void of any significant meaning, because what you're doing is just picking and choosing what you'd like to embrace based on how you feel. But if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to listen to and think about and follow the words of Jesus. 
And he talked numerous times about both the idea of heaven and hell. At one place, I think he speaks to it so profoundly. We're gonna, this is a lot of scripture, and I'll put it on the screen. You don't have to read along. I'm going to read it, but it's, it's so powerful. Jesus tells the story. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. And at, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat even what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. Jesus says, the time came when the beggar, Lazarus, died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and and, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm, I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here. And you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There's so much in this. Let me just start by reminding you, this is what Jesus said. And so when we look at this, there are a couple common questions that come up when the conversation turns to the subject of hell, which most people want to avoid completely. The first one, of course, is a pretty significant one, and that is, you know, what is hell or Hades like? I don't think I need to go into an in-depth description. I think what we just read speaks for itself. Let's just be clear. It is a place of pain. It is not a place that you want to be. And Jesus actually makes multiple other references to hell or Hades, that which comes after the cessation of this physical body. Bottom line is, hell, I I don't know how else to say this. I really actually thought about this quite a bit. I'm like, you know, what do I say about hell? How do I, because I've heard about preachers that dangle people over the fire of hell, you know, and all that, and and that's just not me. here's, Here's my final statement on hell. It's not a place you want to go to. It's bad. And it represents pain. Most of all, what it represents is alienation from God. And you were created to be in a relationship with God. And outside of that will always be a place of pain, however that pain might look. Now, the second question people often ask when we're talking about hell is, First, you know, what's, what's hell like? The second one is, who goes to hell? And I figured we should talk about this since we're always telling each other to do that anyhow. <laughs> I mean, I, I hear it on a regular basis. I go to hell, you know, it's like, woo. Well, let's just clarify this, all right? We, and this is really important to understand, we don't send people to hell. In fact, and this may trouble some of you, We really don't know who's going to hell. We do not know. And I'll tell you why we do not know. Because we do not send them. That is never something we have the power to do. Number two, we do not know what is in the heart of another person. Or what is in their relationship. What is in their heart towards God. Or what happened just before they died. We do not know. So we cannot, nor will we ever be able to send people to hell. Isn't that good news? 
Because if we could send people to hell, I can tell you I've been to hell many times in my life then. Because I've been told that many times. But we don't send people to hell. We don't know what's in the heart of a person. That is not ours to call. We don't know. But we can know something. I'll tell you what we can know. We can know who isn't going there. And that's critically important. And that's based on a simple thing that Jesus said. Many of you are familiar with this. John 3.16 where Jesus speaks and says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not, say it out loud, perish, but have eternal life. This is what we know. We know that those who believe on God's one and only Son, who believe in him, they shall not, again, what? Perish, but have eternal life. We know who will not go to hell, those who are followers of Christ. Now, what's clear to me and I find this simple, and some people uh, see it as more complicated than I see it. But what's clear to me is, is that for those who end up in hell, it is a choice made only by themselves. Many people say, well, God will send you to hell. I personally don't see that in Scripture. What I see is, is that we send ourselves either place because we choose what we believe. And we have that choice. And I'm actually of the conviction that we send ourselves to wherever it is in eternity based on choices that we make ourselves. And trust me, to get to heaven, it's not because you made a choice to work hard and be a good person and earn this thing. It cannot work that way. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it is by grace you have been saved. Look at these two words, through faith, through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You don't do it because of your works. It is about who you believe in. It's not about your hard work. Now, of course, if you believe on Christ, you're going to seek to follow him, and you will follow that with a lifestyle that reflects that. But it's not about your works or earning it. But then two verses later, after Jesus says in John 3, 16, if you believe in God... You'll not perish, but have eternal life. This is what he says, kind of a follow-up. He says, whoever believes in him, he's talking about Jesus himself again, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I, I mean, it's pretty clear to me that we make our own choices and that there is a place called hell and it is real. And it is a place you do not want to go to. And you want to remember that there is life after this life in this body for all of us. Either way. So not only is there a hell, but then there's a heaven. That's a lot nicer to talk about. And, and I could spend a lot of time. There, there are numerous places where there are some brief descriptions of what heaven may be like, but I'm not going to try to describe it for you because I'm just going to tell you this. It is beyond our imagination. It is beyond our imagination. You think of the best place you've ever been to in the world. Maybe it was like somewhere in Hawaii where you're just like, oh, this is like heaven. Nope. That stinks compared to heaven. You have, you can't even 
imagine. That's what Scripture tells us. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be stinking good. It's going to be awesome. I mean, it's going to be an amazing thing. So we really don't know. Now, what I can tell you, and this is just my personal opinion, so just take it for what it's worth. Here's, I don't think it's going to be like the pictures that have been painted by those guys hundreds of years ago. Some of you are familiar with these pictures. Fat little angel babies in heaven playing harps. It's just hard for me to believe that. I don't know, maybe it's true. I look at this picture and it's like adult faces on baby bodies that are naked playing harps. Some people say, I'm not even sure if I want to go to heaven if that's what it's like. I don't think that has anything to do with what it's like. I really think that whatever God has for us, what we do know from Scripture is that it is an amazing, amazing place. John writes about this in the book of Revelation. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Sometimes I read this just for my own reminder of what's coming. And it is no way a good enough description for what it is. But this is what he says. He's talking about his experience where God showed him a peak of what will happen. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I just love this last part. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Does that sound like a place you want to go to? Oh my gosh. He will wipe our tears away. He will wipe the pain away. I want to go there. I want in on that. One more quick thought. There is eternal life. There's heaven and hell. These are the Christian perspectives. But the Christian perspective, I think, that we must not forget is that while we are here, not only there, but while we are here, we will find our peace in God alone. Some of you have lost a loved one. Here's the deal. While we're here on this earth, and we don't have the answers to this. Sometimes we say, God, why do you allow this stuff? Why, why? And, and we don't know. Some of you have suffered losses that you feel like somebody that you love died, maybe a child. I do not know how people deal with that. I do not. And there are people that I love deeply who have dealt with that, and I, I don't know how you do this is what I know. Is that I know that we have to, like a child with a parent who knows what they can't and says, it'll be all right. We have to trust our Father. Amen? And that day will come when He will wipe the tears from our eyes and there will be no more mourning and no more heartbreak, and no more death, and no more suffering. And He will bring that life in a way that we've never experienced it. But until that time, the only way we can really find peace is to trust him. To trust in him. Now, some of you have been through something like that. Can I just say to you, I, I just want you to hear this, folks. We have a, a group called Grief Share that meets. You find support in other followers of Christ. If you don't know about that group, you should go to the Next Step area. It would be helpful to you. I've heard so many positive reports from people meet. They have this hole in their life. and They don't go there forever, but they go and they find some healing. And I actually would say that that happens almost in any life group because you build spiritual relationships and connections, and then they're there to support you and lift you up in your brokenness. 
We also have a book which we would be glad to give you. And this book is how you deal with some of this stuff when it comes to the loss of a loved one. Go out to the next step area and you'll learn more about this. I think it's so powerful when we make steps to, to remind ourselves that we do find our peace in God. So last fall, um, I got the news that uh, someone that I'd become kind of friends with that attended TVC had been diagnosed uh, with terminal cancer and that surgery is not an option, nothing was an option, he, he was going to die. So I went out to see him, and I expected somebody who would be a wreck, devastated. And I found a person with peace. And I was so stunned by it, actually, after I'd met with him two or three different times. His name is Dave. I said, Dave, I asked both him and his wife, I said, could I bring like a camera crew, like a guy out here and some video equipment? Could I, could I just record conversation about this and he thought about it his wife did and they said yeah sure and this that you're about to see is that conversation and he moved from this life to the next in December so watch this well I'd like you to meet a couple friends of mine this is Dave and Deb Vanderveen and uh, I got to know you guys uh, over the years, because you've been coming to TVC, but then right. you and I right. went on a couple mission trips together. Right, down, down to the DR. And got to spend time tormenting each other. Right. And, and enjoyed uh, that. Enjoying the food. And yeah. The work. <laughs> and the work and all that. Yeah. So let's, let's get right to this, um, sure. Dave. A couple weeks ago, you were uh, told by medical profession that you've got somewhere between two weeks and two months to live. That's correct, yeah. You know, I, I got to be honest with you. You kind of surprised me, really. Wow. You seem to have a, a, a sense about you that this is okay. How, how are you dealing with this? It's, um, well, it was a little bit of a surprise, but I just knew that it's part of life. I know where I'm going, and uh, I'm very comfortable with that. You have peace? Very much so. Dave, you're, we're talking about you dying. Right, but we're promised eternal life in the Bible, and I know we can stand on those promises. It's that real to you right. that you have peace? Yeah, it's just like walking through a door from one room into another. Deb, so you're here all the time with him, and you're watching this. Is he telling us the truth? Is this legit? Yes, it is. You really, you see that peace in him? Yes, I do. That's probably not quite as easy for you. No, it's not. What happened to you that you have this kind of peace? Um, I can't give you an exact date, but I followed... Uh, Christ when I was younger, but as I got older, chasing jobs and just chasing life, I walked away and uh, pretty much abandoned the church. And God? And God. It was like it was all up to me. And then uh, I was on a few-day vacation, 
right before Christmas, doing dishes, my Saturday chore. Um, I was listening to the background, the TV, and it uh, advertising Jesus of Nazareth by Frank Coppola, one of my favorites. And I thought, wow, I wonder when that's on. It was on right then, six hours. I watched it all. Six hours? Yeah. And uh, the next Sunday was uh, Christmas Eve. And I was not going back to church. I said, no, that's too cliche, Christmas Eve. <laughs> so I went the following. And I've been trying to be there every Sunday since. To TVC, you started yeah. going. Yeah, the billboards paid off. <laughs> the billboards paid yeah. off. Yeah. God's had a huge impact on your life oh, in the last 12 years. 12 years. I know he's been, he's been there always. I know he's very close. And that just gives me a lot of reassurance and a lot of comfort knowing that I'm just passing through. So pretty soon you're going to say some goodbyes. Right. You and I will have to say goodbye. We are. You and Deb are going to have to say goodbye. Right. You're doing good with that. Um, I look at it more as a temporary until I see you again than a goodbye. So that's not bad. That makes it much easier. Thank you. Thank you for inspiring me for, even at this place in your life, for inspiring us. Yeah, that's not what I had planned, but um, it's just, as I said earlier, it's part of life. Um, It's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Adios. (laughs) Not yet, not quite yet. And now he's there. And his tears are wiped away and there's no more mourning. The question obviously is, are we ready to be there? I, I think that's a good question. And I don't want to uh, play on this moment, but I, I do think it's worth asking. Do you have an eye on the clock? Have you made that decision to become a person who believes in Christ and has taken that step so that you can live with an eye knowing there is eternal life with God. And if you haven't done that, I would love to pray with you. Maybe you did, but you've wandered away and you're like, Jeff, I need, I realize I need to get right with God. Would you all just bow your heads for a moment, please? It's just out of respect for others. But if that's you and you need to get right with God, I'll pray with you in just a moment. We won't make you stand up, bring you to the front, won't tackle you on the way out. But if that's you, 
You say, I need to make things right with God. I need to make the decision to follow him. Just lift your hand up and make eye contact with me for just a moment. If that's you, okay, that's awesome. Just lift it up high enough where I can see it. We'll make eye contact and you can put it down if that's you. All right, awesome. Thank you. All right, in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Just If I haven't seen you, just wave your hand at me. Second, everybody's head's bowed. Eyes are closed. If that's you, I need to get right with God. Last call. Anybody else? Okay, thank you. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, those of you who lifted your hand and those who were afraid to do it but want to pray this, this is so simple. You just say, Jesus, as best I know how, I believe, I believe. I choose you. And then having said that to him, just say, and now I'm asking you to come in and take charge of my life. You pray that inside. You don't have to do it out loud, just between you and God. I ask you to come in and take charge of my life. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. And I will follow you to the best of my ability. And if you pray that simple prayer, I give you my heart, Jesus. I give you my heart. I believe if you pray that simple prayer, it's the first of many steps that you you have to take because faith is a, a lifestyle. It's something you walk into. But this is a huge step. And God, we pray for every person who made that prayer, who made that decision that in the days to come, they would grow and be stronger and stronger in their relationship with you and all the rest of us who are here. We just say, yay, God, for people making decisions for Christ. Such an awesome thing. Yay, God. All right, we want to make sure that you uh, have uh, something that will be helpful to you. And we have a book. It's called Seven Basics. You can text to get that book. You see that, or you can get it at the Next Step area. Check out the Explore God groups. They meet pretty much year-round. They're very helpful in growing your relationship with God. Let's stand to our feet. I just want to send you out with a blessing. May you go with an awareness that you are not living just in this moment, but that your life is eternal, and that God is with you, and that God loves you, and that you have an amazing future as a follower of Christ. It's beyond what you can even imagine, but God is real, and he is with you, and may he bless you and help you walk with an awareness of him in the days to come. In Jesus' name, let's say together, amen, amen. You're dismissed. Have a great day. We'll have people in front who'd love to pray with you if you have a prayer need.